welcome to the Joan Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Vittengel. Joan is a place of truth and connection, a place to discuss mental health, trauma, struggle, and the many difficulties brought to us in life. Through my own journey, I struggled to open up with others about my difficult life experiences. But once I did, I began to see that everyone is on their own journey in one way or another. This podcast has taught me so much, but most importantly, it has taught me that vulnerable connection through storytelling is one of the most powerful ways that we heal ourselves, heal each other, and thus heal the world. I'm so honored that the guests of this show have trusted me to bring their stories to you. And so I hope you enjoy the second season of Joan. Welcome back to Joan. Today I'm speaking with my friend Natasha Zoe Garrett. Uh, She's so candid in this episode. It's amazing. She really opens up and is so honest about her struggle with um, with body image and how that, um, how that kind of translated into, uh, multiple eating disorders later in life, panic attacks, depression. She then struggled, um, with alcoholism and is currently sober. We kind of really dig into, um, the multiple rock bottoms that one can hit in life. Um, We go into the difficulty she felt growing up biracial in a primarily white community. Um, We dig into Black Lives Matter a bit. Um, So this episode is really beautiful. We talk about a lot and Natasha is just such a beautiful, beautiful person. And I'm so grateful that she... um, opened up the way that she did. So I hope that you love this episode. Okay, we're recording. (laughs) Um, Okay, so I am here with my friend, Natasha Garrett, um, also known on Instagram as Natasha Zoe, and also the um, founder of Rome Vintage, which I keep buying from. I don't know if you see my orders coming through. Yeah, it makes me so happy. <laughs> um, so can you tell me a little bit more? Is there anything else you want to add to that? Like you're from Marin County, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was born and raised in Northern California, primarily in San Francisco, uh, the city itself. And then when I was a teenager, my family moved to Marin County and that's where my parents both still live separately, but nearby. And yeah, that, that is home to me. And, uh, did some time in New York, which you know about, and I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> living together for a period. And, um, now I'm in Los Angeles, but Yep. Rome Vintage is my my shop. It's my baby and it's my main focus at the moment. And it's so beautiful. Congratulations on the success of that because honestly, I scroll through your feed and I'm like, I literally want everything. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me so happy to hear. It really does. I appreciate that. It's been such a blossoming endeavor, especially this year. So I'm I'm really happy to be in it. It feels like it's my purpose, at least for the time being. And I feel aligned with it. It's the first time I've ever been in a career path or done something that really feels truly aligned. So it's really, really healing in that way as well, too. Yeah, that is such a good feeling. Oh, it's so good. And like you said, it's like our paths can change at any moment. I can I can attest to that. <laughs> exactly. 
But I think it's important to to honor when something is feeling really right at the moment that you're in. And just appreciate for sure. It. For sure. Um, so Natasha and I know each other because we uh, we both went to FIT in New York City, and we actually lived together. And it was it was actually I think it was a little over ten years ago that we were living together, or was it? Wow. <laughs> Well, yeah, it was. It must have been because we graduated in what twenty twelve, but we were living together in twenty. When was that? Twenty eleven. So maybe it's been like nine years. Nine years. Yeah, something like that. Which is crazy because it feels like a million years ago, but also sort of like yesterday. But also, so much has happened. <laughs> Then it just feels like maybe a different life, you know, like doesn't even feel like it was a certain amount of time ago. It just feels like that was a different life that we were both living. Yeah, (laughs) it really, really does. I feel like we're both probably very different people. (laughs) Um, So if you can, I would love for you to tell me a little bit about your childhood and your upbringing. Um, and the reason I ask that question is just to like begin to dive into sort of like who you are, um, sort of, I don't want to say your conditioning cause that gets like really deep, but just sort of like what your environment was like, um, growing up. Sure. Completely. So as I mentioned earlier, I was born and raised in San Francisco. Um, and my childhood was, you know, very perplexing. I think um, my parents come from two very, very different backgrounds. My mom is Caucasian, and she grew up in a gated community in Greenwich, Connecticut. And my dad is African American, and he grew up um, in housing projects in and around the Bay Area. And they met when they were in their early twenties. On they were both assisting on. Um, and interning on film sets in San Francisco, which is kind of funny because I ended up working in styling um, and being on photo shoots all the time. So I think it's kind of cool that my parents also kind of met in that world and had spent time in that world. Um, They were really young when they had me. They were in their early 20s. And, um, you know, there was a lot of love between them, but then there was a lot of stress. Um, They were very kind of broke all the time and kind of trying to make ends meet. And, um, they did their best, you know, they were able to get my sister and I into, um, a really, really beautiful, amazing private school. Uh, we were on scholarship, but, um, it was tough, you know, it was tough. We were always struggling and I grew up, uh, feeling really out of place because I would go to these private schools with these really, really wealthy kids, mostly, uh, white kids. And I just always felt out of place. You know, I, I, mm. my parents were very, um, on and off again in their relationship. There was a lot of, um, kind of commotion and discord and there never really was a sense of security, which is something that, you know, through doing work on myself, I realized it's like a huge trigger for me is like not feeling secure and not feeling like I, uh, you know, have my basic needs met and, And I think on top of it, what was really challenging is like my parents definitely tried to do their best by having us go to these great schools. But, 
in a way was damaging because I was never really surrounded by people who shared a similar story as me. You know, I was never one of kids that looked like me that had a similar socioeconomic background. So for me, it always created this idea that I wasn't enough, you know? Um, and, Mm -hmm. And that's something that I really carried for, for a long time. And I still am always working through, um, but they my parents are super creative. My mom is uh, an interior designer and she's really amazing. She's always just like painting the houses that we lived in different colors and like finding furniture, like that people were throwing out and like refurbishing it. And, you know, my dad is, um, a contractor and he's also for a t- period of time was like an archery teacher. And like, my parents were just like cool and, and kind of like off kilter and really interesting and and really loving, but there was a lot of, you know, under underlying kind of dysfunction as well too. Um, but I definitely think that that colorful kind of upbringing and in and around San Francisco, um, really instilled in me this, uh, this creativity that I, I really am so grateful for and this adaptability that I'm so grateful for. But yeah, that was that was pretty much my my childhood. I have a younger sister who's a few years younger than me, and then my parents actually got divorced when I was five. And then uh, you know, I there was a long period of time where I was pretty much living with my mom full time, or not pretty much. I was living with my mom full time, and um, my dad was kind of like in and out of the picture. And then my parents got back together and had my little brother, who is twelve years younger than me. So I have a a nineteen year old brother and. Um, but yeah, but from the same parents and they've since now divorced again. <laughs> so as you can see, there's a lot of kind of like, you know, what's happening today? Are we together? Are we not? And, and, but um, yeah, so I have two siblings from that, um, from their, you know, union and mm-hmm. yeah. And then we, you know, moved to Marin County so that I could go to a public high school that was better than the ones that, um, I was supposed to go to in San Francisco. And again, I think that that's a tough place to be as well too. It's so beautiful. Um, it's just right across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. It's super, super stunning, um, amazing, beautiful redwood forests and amazing hiking trails. And the ocean is just immaculate right around there. But, um, but it was tough, you know, and, and again, I, I felt like really out of place. It's a very, very wealthy enclave. And I just felt continuously sort of like this this otherness you know the sense of like mm-hmm. not really being with my people and I um partied a lot and drank a lot and experimented with a lot of drugs and there was a lot of escapism and mm-hmm. um it seemed pretty normal at the time but I did kind of always sense that I was maybe taking it a bit further uh than everyone else but yeah and then eventually when I was uh, eight, when I was 19, I moved to New York and uh, started going to FIT with you. And New York was the first time in my life that I really felt uh, seen. And I really felt like I was mm-hmm. with the people, you know, and it was such a huge mm-hmm. shock, but I, I'm so grateful for it because, you know, I just saw all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life. And it expanded my idea of, you know, what, what you can be and what you can look like and where you can come from. And and it was massively, massively healing and exciting and rejuvenating to me. So yeah. 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 I'm sure New York, I mean, is just (laughs) 
the craziest place, probably the craziest place. I mean, I've lived in a lot of cities and I look back and I'm like, damn, New York is full on, but just incredible. Full on. Yes. But I think too, when you're, when you're this kid that just like is feeling so restless in your, wherever you're growing yeah. up and, you know, and feeling like nothing's, you know, that exciting or whatnot, like going to a place like New York and just things being open 24 seven and like any type of food you could want is available to you and party or whatever. It's just, it's, it's so exciting. And I think when you're in that phase of your life where you're open to it, it just feels like it's giving you life force energy. You know, it just feels so, so good. And I think for most of the time that I was there, I was like, fully in it. And I think now if I, when I go back to New York, I'm like, I'm tired all the time. <laughs> it's like exhausting, but I think at a certain I, point, oh. it's really exciting to be there and really fulfilling. And yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot that you just talked about that I would love to like kind of point back to at different points, hopefully if I can manage that during the conversation. Yeah. Um, but I'd love for you to tell me like when, what your, I guess what your relationship with mental health is and like when you began struggling. So before we jump into that, um, I kind of, I don't remember, I think I mentioned this in my own episode, but like, as I'm talking about who's coming on the podcast, but in my, in my, um, in season one, uh, I, I mentioned you in my episode because I was having what, what, I thought was my first panic attack now that I've experienced them. And I look back at like prior pre pre 21, I realized that I actually had more. I just didn't know what they were. Um, but I remember coming home from school, getting on the subway, like walking up Ludlow street to our apartment coming in. And I just remember I was like, I was in a full on like full blown panic attack and you were just sitting there and I don't even really remember, but you like offered me, a Xanax. And I just, I just decided to take it. It was actually so life-saving for me in that moment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> sometimes it really, you know, like it, sometimes when you're in that state of like complete terror, um, and especially when you have not experienced it and learned tools to, to properly deal with it, you know, sometimes yeah. that can be <laughs> a lifesaver. So I'm happy. It's so funny because I, I remember you bringing that up and I was like, where did I even get that Xanax? Because I didn't have a prescription for it. <laughs> I'm like, I'm happy I had it to supply for you. <laughs> hilarious. I was, I was desperate for it too. So I was, I'm sure I was using it for the same reasons. <laughs> Okay. Okay. So let's, let's go back then. So when did your, so when did your personal kind of journey with anxiety and panic start and how did that start to like play out in your life? Sure. So it's so funny, you know, um, I've been asked these questions before and I typically would say sometime around high school, but you kind of touched on this too, that you actually think that your panic attacks maybe started sooner than you originally thought. And I definitely feel that that's the case for me. Um, because if I look back, I mean, I think since I was a kid, there was always a general sense of unease that I had, um, kind of due to my family situation and, and some trauma when I was a kid and, and, you know, my parents fought a lot and 
it was always just really stressful. And I think I'm just someone that picks up on, on, on people's emotions a lot. And so I constantly was picking up on my parents' stress and kind of harboring that. And, um, when I was 12, actually, um, maybe 11 or 12, I started having hair loss, um, because of stress, you know, and for, for a kid that age to be so stressed out that you start losing hair is, is really kind of alarming. And I think so, my, my anxiety really kind of was always there. And, um, and I just didn't know how to name it. And, and also, you know, I think, unfortunately, at that time, you know, my healthcare providers or doctors, like no one really knew what to do about that. No one really knew that that was maybe a sign that things weren't really going well at home. Um, I was always really skinny as a kid. So they thought maybe, and I was really naturally skinny when I was a little kid. Um, I developed eating disorders later, later in life, which we can, which we can always talk about, but, um, but I was always really skinny as a kid. So they thought maybe I was just like malnourished or something, you know, and, and really what I, what I kind of feel like it is now is I was just highly, highly stressed and highly anxious and unable mm. to do that. So I think my anxiety was always there. Um, <clears throat> I had stomach issues a lot when I was a kid and I still have those. And I think that that a lot of that has to do with anxiety. But the first time that I really felt, you know, sheer terror, panic was in high school. And the first time I had, like, I had a real panic attack that I can name as a panic attack was when I was probably about 15 or 16. And I, I remember it's such a bizarre memory, but I remember I was in my room with my little sister. I think I was like braiding her hair or something. I don't know why. And then all of a sudden I had this overwhelming realization that I'm going to die one day. And it was the Mm -hmm. first time I've ever had that realization. And it like shook me to my core. Like I could not fathom that that was real. Like I could not believe that one day this being, this person who I am, who like is so real and like, you know, like existing and experiencing things and smelling things and touching things and tasting things and loving people, like this whole experience is going to be gone. And Mm -hmm. that really is the source, the main source still to this day of my panic attacks is this like overwhelming fear of finality of life. And, and that, I mean, I completely like, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt, I felt like it it just had this like tunnel vision, like nothing else was really there anymore. I kind of felt like, and I still, when I have these kind of panic attacks, feel like I'm already in the process of dying. (laughs) Like, like it's already there. Like it might as well be happening right now. That's how terrifying the experience is. Um, yeah, I get that. It's really awful. You know, it's really, really, it's unlike, you know, because I've, I've suffered with anxiety and anxious racing thoughts since I can remember. And I've kind of come to know how to cope with that or what to do to kind of make that, um, go away a little bit more. But the panic attacks is just like all consuming. It kind of feels like there's nothing really that I can do to 
to remedy them, you know, or to like bypass them. It's just like this big, massive wave that just takes over every ounce of my being. And, and mm-hmm. it's exhausting. It's super exhausting. It just feels like my nerves are completely on fire. And, um, and then I think also too, it's like this, this kind of thing where you, you have one and it's so scary that you end up being constantly then now fearful about having another yeah. one. And then that kind of spawns and, you know, <laughs> yeah, you don't have another one and, it, you know, and it's so frustrating. And, and so, yeah, I, I think I was about 15 or 16 when I had my first serious panic attack and yeah, yeah. I've, I've suffered on and off with them ever since. And thankfully in the last, uh, year or two, couple years, I've, I've still suffered with them sometimes, but I've really learned ways to kind of like just allow them to wash over me and yeah. not sit in them so much. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the first one was absolutely terrifying and I had no method of coping with it. Yeah. Yeah. When it first comes on and it's like the first one that you're aware of and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die yeah. or it's going to like, I can't live right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'd love for you. So you touched also on eating disorders, um, or eating disorder. I'd love for you, like any, like what, ev- anything and everything that you consider to fall under the mental health umbrella. Like I'd love for you to just kind of touch on what it is that you struggle with. If there's been depression, you know, whatever else, maybe it's just panic and anxiety or panic and eating disorders, but you know, oh, it's, there's so much more, <laughs> There's so much, you know, <laughs> which I've learned to really, um, <laughs> really, really cherish about, about myself. And I'm, I'm grateful that I can, I can share these experiences with women like you and, um, and you know, we, we are able to work through them, but yeah. So I, um, I was a model when I was a teenager, maybe starting around 14 years old. And like I said, I was always pretty thin. Um, but obviously when you're then all of a sudden, like this little kid who people are looking at in a certain way and needing to, you know, when, when you don't just become this being, but you become this being that needs to be like a reflection of like everyone's ideal of like a human, that amount of pressure to look perfect or to look a certain way or whatever. is just so intense. And I think as a little kid and especially, you know, I think things have changed so much now that I am, it's so beautiful to see like women with all body types and all, you know, colors and just all, you know, everything is, is more, you know, accessible and more, um, represented is what the word I'm looking for. And, um, and I think that's really beautiful. But when I was a kid, I feel like you just had to be really skinny and tall and you had to look good all the time. And, and I really like, I didn't know anything else about myself, what I wanted to do when I was a little kid. Like I had friends who were really good, like soccer friends who were like really good at singing or acting or like, you know, knew that they wanted to work in, science one day, like I really was always lost. So I kind of like, as soon as someone told me that I was pretty and I could be a model and I could maybe have this as a career, I was like, okay, cool. So me being pretty is like the most important thing, quality. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I work towards. Like as much as like my friend is working hard at soccer to be the best soccer player, like I need to work as hard as I can to be like the prettiest, you know, skinniest, whatever person and make that my whole identity. 
And I think that also too, like as soon as I kind of realized that there's a, there's this um, element of control over like managing your weight that also can be used as a way to, um, to not think about all these other things that are stressing you out, you know, like I just was hooked. I was like, Oh, so I can like count my calories and watch what I eat and be obsessive about it. So I don't have to think about the fact that my parents are like on the brink of another divorce or the fact that I don't, you know, I don't have to think about like how uncomfortable I am in my own skin. Like, great, cool. I'm just going to obsess over this and make this my Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think an eating disorder was something that kind of really naturally, gravitate gravitated to to me you know and um mm-hmm. I was pretty anorexic for um most of high school I remember I would eat as little as I possibly could all day sometimes I wouldn't really eat at all and um and then when I was um probably my last year or two of high school I I started um becoming bulimic as well too which was um mm-hmm. Which was to me, I think the element of like secrecy and doing something that was taboo was what really drew me towards that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I also, when I was like maybe 13, 14, I experimented with like self harm and cutting myself and um, never to really hurt myself. But I think I was just desperate for these ways of like having these little things for myself that I could control and, and manage and no one else could know about. Um, they were kind of like taboo and dark and it was just like my own form of rebellion really, you know? And like, um, and yeah, so I, I struggled with, with bulimia and anorexia all throughout high school and then into my early twenties. And, um, it was really dark, you know, it's a really, really dark, dark thing. And it's really, you know, permanently kind of affected my uh, digestive system. And it's definitely my relationship with food in general, which now I have to say, I don't ever like really give myself enough praise for shifting that relationship enough, but I feel completely shifted in my relationship towards food. Um, That being said, things still do pop up from time to time. Like I do tend to like when I feel thin and like when I'm being told I look thin, um, Mm -hmm. even sometimes when people say like, Oh, you look really like maybe too thin. Like there's still that part of me that comes up. That's like, yes, I did it. I did it. I like, you know, and, and that, that's hard for me to admit that, you know, I'm 31 now and, and, um, I'd like to say, I'd like to think that I have this like completely healthy relationship to my body and to food. But if I'm being totally honest, which I think is really important to do, um, I still do struggle sometimes with, um, yeah. with self-image or, you know, if I maybe am, have gained, put on a few extra pounds, I, I really beat myself up about it. So, yeah. um, but yeah, that's been, that's been such a journey, but I, I do really think more than the actual weight loss, um, through my eating disorders, it was really just the control element. And I think it was really a precursor to then my, my drinking, which I know we'll get into as well too. But, um, I think just for me, a person who feels very much, um, out of control with, you know, other elements of their life or, or, or their mental health, like having something concrete to, to focus on, you know, and also it became like obsession with exercise too. And, 
mm-hmm. things that I felt like I could regulate and manage and see results from. Um, yeah, kind of became my yeah. whole life for a while. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for being so honest and open because these conversations are difficult to have. And I think that there's always a part of us that wants to like fully heal. And while I believe that that is possible to some degree, I think that it's, it's weird because I think it's possible for us to overcome things as you have, but like you said, it's sort of like those, those old thought forms and that kind of thing. Like that to me from, I guess from just my own experience, like that's, that is kind of always there and sort of always pops up. And I too, I still struggle, you know, like I think it's just, I'm glad that you pointed out that, you know, this isn't like a, I'm totally free of everything now. Like it's just, it's not how, it's just not how healing really works. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, and, and I'd love for you to then, um, talk a bit about how this started to sort of like turn sort sort of, it sounds like it segued into to drinking and, and partying and whatnot. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, yeah. Uh, alcoholism definitely runs in my family and, um, you know, that's something I'm more and more aware of as years go by. But um, as I mentioned too, in high school, I was always drinking and partying, but it felt pretty normal. I definitely was more of a blackout drinker than some of my friends, but, um, you know, and I, I really got myself into some dangerous situations. Um, when I was in high school, I got, um, sexually assaulted at a party by a boy that I knew. And, um, I think to this, you know, for a long time, I really harbored that as just like, that was my fault. I got too drunk, you know, whatnot. And I think what I really wasn't aware of at the time is like, I continuously was piling on shame, shame with more shame and then just drinking over it, you know? So like I got into that situation. I also like I think a lot of my stories when I was first starting to drink were evolving around um, boys and like, you know, sleeping with a lot of people and kind of getting like this reputation as a girl who's like, you know, kind of slutty or whatever and like all this stuff. And so I think I kind of like ended up instead of, instead of seeing how I was being characterized or judged as this thing, I, I, I started to feel more and more shame and guilt around it. And I started to drink and use more as a way to hide. So it like transformed from like drinking to party and have fun, um, to drinking, to hide and to numb and to not feel this shame and embarrassment. But then of course, like I would just get myself into more and more situations that were shameful and embarrassing. And then when I was in New York, was when it really took off my drinking. And, you know, New York is kind of the perfect city for that. And I um, kind of really surrounded myself by a lot of people who like to party as much as I did. And, um, and yeah, I mean, f- for a really long time, I didn't feel like it was a real problem. I felt like I definitely drank a lot. But um, like I said, I just always surrounded myself with other people who drank as much. So I felt like it was okay. And then somewhere 
in my mid-20s when I was around 24, 25, is when I started really feeling like, huh, like, is it this normal to wake up hungover like most days of the week? Is it really this normal to go to work feeling so hungover that I feel like I can't make it through the day, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, is it normal to, you know, go out to a party and like make a fool of myself and then be terrified to wake up to my text messages the next day, you know, like that unmanageability started to really hit me. And I started to realize like, Hmm, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't normal. Maybe this is something problematic. And, and, um, luckily, you know, I was able to, I was working at restaurants at the time and I had a coworker, um, who was sober and, he would just, you know, occasionally talk about it. And I just remember being like, how the hell is this person sober? Like he's in his like late twenties, early thirties, like lives in New York. Like, why is he not drinking? That's crazy to me. Like I can't even fathom not drinking. And he was kind of like the first seed planted into my road to recovery. And I continued on drinking for a little bit of time And then one day I asked him like, if he wouldn't mind taking me to an AA meeting and he took me to one and it didn't really resonate with me at the time. And to be totally honest with you, I don't really remember anything about that meeting, but I think the fact that I was willing to, to go to a meeting with him and willing to acknowledge that I, I feel like I had some problems with my drinking was really huge for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so I still continued drinking for a while, but it got pretty bad. You know, I would, um, I was assisting on photo shoots at that time. I was out of college and, you know, I'd get so drunk. And then the next day I'd be like super hungover. And then like, I remember sometimes I would like bring, like, I would like drink before work just to like calm my nerve. Like, Like I'd like bring like a beer with me to to the job because I was like so massively hungover and my anxiety also that's the other thing is like my anxiety would be like so horrific when I had hangovers that I just felt like I was crawling out of my skin so I was like I need to do anything that I can do to not feel this way so if it was like taking a Xanax or like uh, having a drink in the middle of the day you know like and that's when I really started looking at myself and being like Natasha this is so unmanageable like I never thought I would be that person who would need to have a drink to get through the day or be like, you know, white knuckling it through the whole day so that as soon as I got off work, I could go get a bottle of wine and go home and like drink it, you know? And like, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was miserable, you know, I was like always just like waiting until I could be drunk again so I could be numb again because I was so I'd set myself up to be so kind of like uncomfortable in my own skin and in my own being. And, um, and so then I actually ended up for the first time, um, getting sober, but I wasn't going to like any meetings or anything like that. And I did this big trip and I went to Nepal and Bali and it was really amazing. And, um, and super healing. It was also it was at the very t- tail end of my time living in New York. And I was in a really unhealthy, toxic relationship. And then I came back from that trip, still not drinking, um, but still not like working any sort of a program. And um, I broke up with that partner and abruptly moved back to California. And 
that's kind of, I really feel like when my major healing journey really, really began. And, um, I ended up starting to drink again, um, because, you know, I, as I mentioned, I wasn't going to AA or anything like that. And, and, you know, if, if anyone's listening to this and they're struggling with alcohol and, um, they don't feel like AA is for them, that's, this isn't to say that I feel like that has to be the only path. But for me, I feel like anytime that I'm not going to meetings and talking to other sober alcoholics, I feel like I will rationalize a drink again, you know? And like when I moved back to California, I just kind of started hanging out with a lot of friends and like smoking a lot of weed and then eventually like, you know, microdosing on mushrooms. And then all of a sudden I was, I might take a break from drinking and then would start drinking again. My drinking would just get worse and worse really quickly. And that's something that's so important for me to remember now, but yeah. And then eventually um, I was actually back in New York funny enough for like a summer for a a bunch of photo shoots. And that was the first time that I really got sober and I was there for a month or so. And I started going to meetings and I got my first a sponsor um, out in Brooklyn. And it was the first time I started working the steps. And it was the first time that, that sobriety really clicked for me. And the whole idea of, of, uh, you know, this fellowship of people who, who get, who get it, who get why you you do and who share similar experiences and help each other through, um, sharing those experiences and sharing the way that they got through them and, and creating this community of people around each other who hold each other accountable. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of been the journey with sobriety. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I have quite a few friends. Um, my best friend in London, um, is sober. Um, and she was really kind of the catalyst for me to begin exploring, um, not drinking, which I wouldn't consider myself to, to have a problem with alcohol, but it's interesting because earlier this year, it was actually over the pandemic that I was like the first lockdown that I was like, I'm just not going to drink. And I was fine. And then when we were start, you know, when we were allowed to be kind of in social situations again, I started to, I was like, I'm going to continue to, ex- to, um, experiment with this. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I realized as I was like meeting up and h- hanging out with friends and being in groups for the first time without alcohol, I was like, I am so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I have no idea who I am in a social situation without alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is so unnerving, the, you know, being completely sober and being in social situations. And there's no mystery why alcohol is always available at, in, in social places, you know, because we're not used to interacting with other humans like completely as we are, you know, and we're not, we're, we're really conditioned to need this, this social lubricant. Totally. It is, it is so unnerving. I remember a few, a few moments, like it, my friend, my friend who is sober, she was like, just give it some time. Like you'll start to get used to it. But, and I mean, I, you know, full disclosure, I, I now like I'll have a glass of wine, but I actually, I really don't have more than one glass of wine if I am having a drink, which is nice. Like I feel, I feel like I'm glad that I can, that I can do that, but I do feel like it is something that I am moving further and further away. But it is, like you said, it's so hard. Like I'm 31, I'm single. Like the thought of dating without alcohol makes me want to (laughs) die. 
it, it was, I totally relate to that. I mean, I've now, you know, I'm in a relationship that I've been in for a year and a half, but I dated for three years sober pretty much, you know? Um, and it was mortifying at first. I mean, it, but at the same time, it really helps you weed out people for lack of a better word. <laughs> there are a lot of people who are too uncomfortable, um, not drinking or, or being with somebody who doesn't drink. And it's yeah. important for me to be able to see that, you know, but it is, it is really unnerving. Um, I mean, for me, like, yeah, just going out to like a party or going to hear live music, like not drinking the, for the first few times was like the most painful experience ever. I was like, what do I even do with myself? Like, it's so yeah. weird, you know? And, but, um, but I think it is really empowering to finally get to that point where like now, I mean, I'm not going out socializing now and it happened for some time, but when I do, it's like, I'm so used to it. Like I'm so comfortable in it. That yeah. Actually, the idea of me drinking is actually more uncomfortable in social situations than the idea of me just being sober, which is really, really cool and really empowering, but it definitely takes some time. Yeah. Yeah. So did you have, did you have, um, like a rock bottom at any point? Um, or was it sort of like a, just sort of a slow kind of rolling, you know, rock? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it, it has been a lot of different things at different times, you know, but I've definitely had, I can identify and pinpoint several rock bottoms, you know, and I think that's important thing to address is that, um, throughout our life, we can have different periods that really feel like shit. This is like the lowest low I've been in. And I've had my fair share of those, but I'd say the most recent one was about a year and a half ago. I, um, so I, I was sober for two and a half years and then I decided that I thought drinking would be a good idea for me again. And that I had changed enough that I could drink socially and so I tried to start drinking and then uh, very quickly realized that I, I wasn't doing a very good job of not obsessively, you know, wanting to drink more. So mm-hmm. I over again. Um, and then I, I remember I was really anxious, like abnormally anxious for me for, you know, I, 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 I feel like when I was like a kid, I had like massive crazy anxiety every day, but more recently it hasn't been as overwhelming. And, um, I was super, super anxious and someone had given me some CBD, but it definitely had THC in it. And I'm super sensitive to THC and I took it and I straight up was like hallucinating. Like I felt like I had like taken mushrooms or something like that. Like I was like, had a full out of body experience and I was by myself and it was like the middle of the day and it into this crazy panic attack, like crazy. I I was having a bad trip basically. And, um, and something from that experience just completely fried my nervous system, like completely shut down to the point where I had to go home. Um, and again, this was only a year and a half ago. I had to go home to my mom's and I couldn't be, I had such bad anxiety every day. I couldn't be like alone for like any period of time. And I was like, I even made, made my mom take me to the emergency room. Cause I literally, I legitimately thought I was having a heart attack. But yeah. then they like, 
checked my heart and everything. They're like, you're fine. You're just having really, really intense anxiety. Um, I went to like this amazing acupuncturist up there and basically got into her office and like just broke down and was like, I feel like I'm never going to be okay again. And um, I was a mess and I started drinking again because I just was like, I can't cope. I'm not, my physical body and my mental state is not okay. Uh, Yeah. And it was really, really heavy. Like I just could not, I felt, I felt sick. Like I felt like I couldn't make it through a day, you know, like my body felt so weak. My mind felt so weak and, and it was really dark. It was, it was horrible. Um, I cried like every day I, I was in this awful depression unlike any sort of depression I'd ever been in where I just felt completely like I was in this bubble and like le- there was life outside of me and everyone looked totally normal and they were doing their thing. And I just couldn't access that. Like I couldn't like pop the bubble and get into yeah. normal reality, which was also just even more depressing in itself that I like couldn't get there, you know, like no matter how much I tried. And it was really, it was really horrible. It was really, really horrible. And um, I remember, <clears throat> so at that time I started taking medication, which I'm still on now. Um, which I'm totally open and, you know, happy to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time that I started doing that, I worked with a really, really amazing um, psychiatrist um, who, you know, when I go in to see him, will ask all about my family life, my home life, like my mental, like he's not just doling out whatever he thinks. He's more of a therapist as well too. And I also work with a therapist um, weekly, but um and and I I've been able to somehow really completely like make a one eighty and I got sober again and starting started going to yoga like every single day and getting through this period. But it was like it's kind of baffling to me that that was so recently and like my life looked mm-hmm. but it was really like truly the lowest low uh, I've ever been in in my life. Yeah. Wow, that sounds so intense. It's so interesting as you're talking, like, I don't know, there's just something about like what you're saying that is resonating with with me and myself so much, not to make this about me at all, but I'm just feeling this, like, I just can feel how, like, I don't know, I don't think it really, like, people perceive me this way, but I am so sensitive to, like, I can't drink coffee, I can't drink coffee. Um, I can't take CBD either. It's like way too much for me. Um, I definitely can't smoke weed. Um, you know, like there's this, like, there's like this sensitivity in you and, and it just makes me think about how we've just been living in this world that really isn't suited to people like me or you. Mm -hmm. And, and that, I don't know, like, I just, I just sent like having this feeling that like, you're so here, like your story is so intense, but it's so beautiful. And it's so amazing to hear you like come out on this other side, the way that you have, even though it does feel so recently, like, I feel like you are just such a, such a light. And I'm so excited now that, that we're having this conversation for this episode to come out. Um, but I want to talk a bit more about like this healing process and also the medication because there's so much, so many freaking opinions out there about medication. I am totally pro medication. Um, and I want to hear, so, so it sounds like for you, the medication was 
really helpful. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, <clears throat> I have, been, you know, previously been someone who was like super, super health conscious, like, you know, don't want to put anything in my body that's not, you know, and I am all for people who are like, I think natural is best. And I think eating, you know, real foods is best. And I think we can always do better jobs to be more connected to our natural environment. And I'm also all for like healing herbs and all these things. Like I do it all. Like I'm kind of on, I've I've transformed to become more that person. That's like, I want to do everything that I can to make myself better because I really have been in such dark times that I know that for me, like I kind of need all of the things to, to kind of make myself feel good and to like calm my nerves and to be at this like space where I'm actually then able to operate from like, you know, freely. And, um, and yeah, for me, I really was like, I can't function. I couldn't function at that time. So I was like, I need to take something that will allow me then to be able to do all the other things that are important in healing. Like as the minute I started taking um, the medication, I started um, do practicing yoga every single day. And I started like, you know, I quit caffeine for a period of time. I do drink coffee now and I'm able to, but um, sometimes I'm not really able to, and it does amp up my anxiety. So I do take it away at times. But so I quit the caffeine. I started doing yoga every day. I started seeing a therapist every week. Um, I was going back to AA meetings and I was just being outside more often. And um, all I feel like all of those things are what helped me get back into my body more. But I do think that the medication is one of those things that is really helpful for me. And um, uh, I work with like, as I mentioned, I work with a psychiatrist who's really great and I've not gone up or down on my dosage since a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. There have been periods where I've thought about getting off of it, but at the moment, just like with the way the, the world is, I'm like not in a rush to, and I don't think I need to be, you know, like it's not, Yeah, I didn't feel any adverse side effects of what I've been taking. Like I've been on other medications throughout my life, um, starting from high school that have had really adverse side effects. And so I'm like well-versed in, in that and understand what that looks like. But, um, but I think it's important to me. And I think it's, like I said, like it's, it allows me to get out of the extreme discomfort enough to then, um, you know, take accountability for myself and for my healing, you know, it allows me to not be in this, like, because if I don't have, if I didn't have the medication at the beginning of where I was, I would probably still be drinking every day. Like the drinking was my medication. So like, what's better thing that helps realign my brain chemistry or like, and so that I can then do all these other things that really help me out or like abusing alcohol, you know, to try and numb myself and like feel better, you know, and I'm not saying it has to be either or, but for me, those were my two options at the time. And, um, and I wasn't really able to access and like sit with a lot of other options. And so I think, you know, I'm like all about getting rid of the stigma of, of, um, medication. And I think also it's like, it's nobody else's business, but your own and it's your journey. And yeah, if you have a really strong opinion about it, like that's great, then don't, don't take it for you. But I think it's really harmful. And I don't think it's, um, very kind to be um, telling other people what they need to do, you know, for their own, because you've never been in their experience. So you really truly have no idea what it was like 
Um, and that's the, like, it's a big assumption to think that you know what will best help them. Totally. Oh, that applies to so many things. <laughs> like, so many things. We live in a world that is so opinionated right now. I'm like, guys, can we just let everyone do what they want to freaking do with their own bodies now? Like, it's so true. Oh, God. That's kind of unbearable. And I I think we all need to check ourselves a little bit more. Yeah, I'm with you on that. (laughs) Um, So speaking of this year, I want to go back to you talking about um, the struggle that you felt um, being half Black um, growing up. Is that, did I, am, is that the correct, I'm like, I get so nervous talking about these things. I'm like, am I saying this right? Is that correct to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the thing is, yes, I would consider myself, my dad's black. Um, sometimes I say African-American for, for his situation, it does fit. But the problem with the term African-American is it doesn't apply to all, to all black people. Um, and I think sometimes people think it's more politically correct to say that when actually it's maybe not always the correct terminology either. And um, I know in in my family that um, identifying as black is, is what we identify as. So yeah, my father's black and my mom's white. And um, yeah, that, I mean, I think uh, too, also, I I think it's unfortunate that people are so, (laughs) feel so uncomfortable or pressured to get things right that sometimes they don't speak on things. And, and I, I appreciate and value people just like honoring that they might not know the right terminology, but like wanting to speak on and learn things anyway. So, yeah. Well, that kind of goes along with what we were just saying. I'm like, these are, dip, you know, not all these conversations are com- are comfortable and like, but like, you know, removing sort of that cancel culture, just like having opinions about what people are like, everyone's trying to learn, you know, I mean, not everyone actually is, but <laughs> for the most part someone's talking about it (laughs) yeah um so tell me about like how has the black lives matter movement affected you and has has that um do you feel like that's healed any of that sort of like identity struggle that you had growing up i would like to say that it has but it's complicated it's complicated being biracial um particularly it's complicated being both identifying as white and black in America because you really feel like you're at the crossroads of two very um, tense, like of a very tense dynamic, you know? And, um, and I've always struggled with that because like I said, I, I felt very other, but I also was primarily raised by my white mother and growing up had a lot of mostly white friends. Mm-hmm. So I always felt a bit of a disconnect from my black heritage and identity. And that's something that is very sensitive for me to to bring up and to acknowledge. And it's something that I've done a lot of work around and um, have really been able to celebrate and, 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 um, and identify and with, and, you know, become so much more compatible, you know, feeling like connected to, uh, as I get older, which is so, so beautiful, but it's challenging. And like, I think the black lives matter movement, it's been, it's not that it's been, it's been healing so incredibly healing, but I feel like it's more, I feel like it's more, whatever it was my trying to say, I feel like being able to see 
people who haven't recognized what a whole other group of people have been going through has been really healing. And for me, it's like when I was a kid, I feel like all the other kids I grew up with, all the white kids I grew up with just like had no idea or no need to like think about struggle in that way. Like they just never even, it never even crossed their mind. So to be able to see all these people who are like the people I grew up with, like starting to think about things like this is really like healing. You know, it's really amazing to see people start to open their minds and be like, oh fuck, like I haven't even thought about that. But at the same time, it's really frustrating if I'm being honest. And I know that, uh, ever, you know, anyone else I've talked to who's black is like, also really frustrated because it's like, where have y'all been? You know, like this has been here the whole time. And now all of a sudden, like it takes like so many, uh, you know, deaths and so much police brutality and so much injustice for people to finally start waking up, you know? And so it's also like a little frustrating and it's been so complex. And the, the reason why I say like, yes, it's been healing, but it's also complicated is because like, with social media, I feel like there's also been this like highly performative aspect to people showing up and in, in their awakening. And, and that's really, it's really challenging to kind of like be excited and, and happy about that and feel like it's movement forward when you also feel like people are doing it just to feel better about themselves or to make themselves look more yeah woke for lack of a better term. So that's been tough. And, you know, I, <clears throat> Like, for example, on Instagram, you know, my shop has been around for a while, but then during really like the, you know, when Black Lives Matter movement started really gaining traction and people were really talking about amplifying Black voices, my following went up like 20,000 followers over the last several months. And it was so, I talked to a few of my other friends who had the same experience and it was so bizarre and overwhelming to just all of a sudden have all these people be like, look at you, look at me, look at me. Like it just all of a sudden I was like, yeah, it felt uncomfortable. Like it felt really uncomfortable for people to just be like pointing at you. Like, here's a black person that you should look at. Like, here's, you know, like like tokenizing almost. Yeah. 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 So much sweetness in my heart because I understand that most people were coming from like a really well-intentioned place and like I really do believe that we should be amplifying more voices of color particularly more black voices in America and like I'm all for that and I think like we need to just do that in our daily lives and like the decisions we make like oh I need to hire you know a graphic designer like well maybe there's like a really, really cool, badass, like black graphic designer in my neighborhood. Like maybe I'll, you know, like, it's just like, I I want to get some good food in my neighborhood. Like maybe there's like a really great black owned bakery nearby that I can, you know, it's like, I think it's great to be more mindful of like, how can I support uh, black people in my community? How can I be, you know, like, how can I be more engaged too? How can I get to, you know, like, I just think that that's all an important part of of lifting up voices, but I yeah. think it gets a little bit tricky when we just end up starting to just point out people just so yeah. be like, Oh, here I found one. Oh, here I found. It's like that to me feels not like the most helpful or progressive thing to do. And it was really uncomfortable because like, you know, I'll speak for myself, but like, you know, seeing <clears throat> more and more police brutality against, 
against black men and women, like it's just, it's heartbreaking, you know, cause having a black father, like I'm always concerned about something like that happened to him. And it has been, he's been shot at before he's been assaulted by the police. Like he's been, you know, I go on walks with him all the time and people will just like, you know, older women will like clutch their purses more, like move wider, you know, like I see it every day for him. And it's, it's also, you know, I have to check myself and check my privilege because like I haven't had really that same experience as him because I am lighter skinned. And I, you know, I, I definitely have suffered from blatant racism in so many different spaces, but I also see and recognize how like people like my father have experienced it like on a whole nother level. So seeing seeing things happen like um, with George Floyd and seeing like how his life was just literally drained in front of, you know, so many people and there was nothing that really could be done about it. It was completely heartbreaking and completely traumatizing. So working through that trauma and sitting with that trauma and being so frustrated that this keeps continuously happening, but then also having all this attention and eyes on you feels a little weird and like maybe not the point of everything is like very bizarre, you know? And then to keep getting like all this new business, which is like, again, I'm fucking grateful for it. Like I'm so grateful for it. And I know that I've worked really hard to get to where I'm at, but it just felt very perplexing and not like it could, I felt like it, it could have been more of a healing experience than it actually was. And it feels like Mm -hmm. it was very um, confusing. And I feel like social media has gotten just very confusing. Like it's kind of lost its identity or its message. And it's become like this hotbed for just people to just like, spew out information and like again I think so much valuable information has come through what we share on social media but it's also just it's become really anxiety inducing and but I will say like for me what's the most healing about the Black Lives Matter movement is just like connecting with other people who have shared similar experiences as me you know and 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 be, you know, more of service in little ways that aren't on social media to like, you know, show up and and be accountable and and whatnot. But yeah, it's been been a really tricky, bizarre kind of time for social justice. I'm sure like it must've felt so weird and like you were being put on a pedestal because of in some way, like all of the shit that was going down. But like we were pointing out before, um, just about social media and people having opinions and cancel culture and all of this stuff, like as you were speaking um, about your experience of this whole thing, like what kept coming to mind for me was, as you were talking about how you knew that there was good intention in it, but, but what's like underlying so much of this and so much of what we've actually talked about is, from my perspective, is shame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like that, that I can imagine that being on like the receiving end of what probably felt like just this like good intention, but like there, there's so, there was so much, there is so much, um, there's, so, there's so many layers that are mixed into all of that, of just so many emotions that like, yeah, I just, I can't even imagine what that, what that was like, but 
as you said, positive no in a very bizarre way, your business completely went crazy. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And what an interesting time for that to kind of happen. You know, this year, I I, I think the culmination of so many things, I think, you know, a lot more people being at home and wanting to shop and have beautiful things that make them happy is also, you know, one of the reasons why businesses like myself are actually doing really well. And um, I'm really grateful to not, you know, have the overhead of a physical store that I am worrying about. You know, I know so many people that do have that. And I feel really, I feel so much, you know, frustration that um, it's been so challenging for so many people. And um, I really want to honor people that are, you know, just continuously showing up for their small businesses that are struggling right now. And um, that being said, mine has really taken off in a way that I had always hoped for, but was not, did not know or think would happen at all this year. And um, it's been really exciting and really liberating. You know, I I believe I mentioned before that I had been doing styling for years before and I was really hating it (laughs) and feeling really disconnected from that work and always wanted to just be able to fully work for myself. And I can say now that in the last, um, eight months or so, nine months, I've been able to fully self support myself with my small business, which is huge. And I know that you know what that's like. And, um, and being able to rely on yourself as your source of income is really, really empowering. And I think if anything, like to talk about healing right now and healing, like, um, you know, my past trauma and my identity is like being able to be an empowered, you know, woman of color that owns a small business that's successful right now is like Mm. massively healing. Like that is what I feel like has healed so much of this self doubt and shame that I had growing up or like this feeling like I would never be able to, you know, amount to anything or have anything to show for, like to be able to completely be autonomous and not have to, you know, count on anyone else to get by and is really is 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 remarkable and so so healing and I'm so grateful for that and and it's also scary you know and I know that you I'm sure you know that it's fucking terrifying every day I'm like is this it like is this gonna just all crumble and like I'm gonna have to go back to do jobs I don't want to do for other people you know and but I you know I'm 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 living with that and sitting with that uncertainty and and trusting that like this really feels like what I'm meant to be doing and I'm you know obviously like it's been received really well and to me that shows me that I'm like really living my authentic self you know it feels very natural too yes definitely I was um I was having chills just all over my body just as we were kind of talking before we started recording just about like yeah, that feeling of like knowing that something's right. And that's when I think that you really do know that something's right is when it's being received as well as it is. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, um, I, you can just see that. Like you can you can see that when you are looking at someone's work. And I think looking at your Instagram and like looking at what you're doing um, in your business and your website, like it is all like it, it's so obvious that it is such a clear reflection of who you are in the most beautiful way. So 
congratulations on that. It's amazing. And I keep buying things. So, oh my God, I really appreciate hearing that. It is very, it's very exciting. And I need to keep re- reminding myself of that because sometimes I get so caught up in it that I forget to sit back and be like, you know what? You're doing a really good job. You know, like you're really showing up for yourself every day and it's showing in your work ethic. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that that is so important. I know that I rare, it is so rare that I, you know, the same thing as a small business owner that I stop and I'm like, look at what you've done. Like I'm constantly, constantly critiquing. Okay. What's next? How do we make this better? Um, and it is so important to just stop and be like, wow, okay, this is fucking cool. Yeah. I mean, to side note, when you first started Francis Loom and it was really getting traction, I mean, you have been a huge, uh, influence on me. Um, you know, because I knew you before you even remotely started thinking about Francis Loom, or at least to my knowledge, you hadn't brought it up and weren't working in that way. And, and seeing, seeing it take off to become what it is today has been so inspiring. So yeah, I just want to thank you for that. Cause it's seeing other women like you that really like shows me like, Oh shit. Yeah. I could kind of like create this whole world of my own and like, you know, yeah. it's just been, it's been yeah. Thank you. I know. I think it's so important to recognize too, like as women for so long, we've been kind of taught to pit ourselves against each other. And when we can actually stop and like actually just use each other for inspiration and like build each other up, there's so much power in that. 100%. Yeah. And and see each other as role models or, you know, peers instead of competition, I think is so important. And I think we've been conditioned to not want to do that and to think of each other as like, you know, getting in the way of others, of, of each other. Yeah. When it's really like there's more than enough for all of us and we can yeah. all look to each other to support each other. 100%. Um, so I want to, a couple more questions. I want to ask you, so what is your, what do your days look like now? Like, do you have any daily practices that keep you grounded? Yeah. So they're always, daily practices has kind of been like an interesting thing during this time. Um, Cause I was going to yoga pretty much every day. And for me, I'm definitely like an in-person group uh, exercise kind of person. So it's been really challenging for me to get back into my yoga practice on my own, but I'm starting to do that again. Um, but for me, it's like slow mornings, trying not to check my phone right away. Um, I have a puppy now and he's just mm-hmm. really like, I'm so grateful for him because he just keeps me so present. And so like in the mornings, it's like just playing with him and being with him and being like present with his growth and development has been really lovely and grounding. I try to do, you know, like I try and meditate every morning, but if that doesn't happen, I try to at least take like just a few conscious breaths and like say some gratitude, you know, for being alive another day. And, um, and then really for me, it's like evenings are my time. It's like every evening I take a bath (laughs) pretty much. And for me, like that time is like so sacred, like, because for me, like and as you know, as like someone's struggling with anxiety, it's like basically we're constantly needing to like relax our nervous system. And for me, like being in like hot water and heat in general, like a sauna or like steam room or anything is like so nourishing to my um, nervous system. So 
I don't have a sauna or steam room (laughs) at the moment. So for me, like taking a bath every night or even like a hot shower, if you don't have a bath, obviously lighting candles, like listening to calm music, like that's what sets me into a good place. And like, that's honestly, it sounds so funny, but like where all my best ideas come from. (laughs) Like sometimes I like keep my phone or like a notebook next to me because I feel like I've just like, it's the one time where I can like completely relax my brain and my body. And, and a lot of like really important messages kind of like come through in that time. So that's my, my nightly practice. That's really important to me. And yeah, I just, I think for everything is just kind of about like grounding more into my body and, and, um, healing my nervous system. So, you know, whatever that looks like doing some stretches or, you know, having some like hot tea at night, just like kind of getting back into my body because especially as like a small business owner, it's like a very heady thing to be, you know, like you're constantly thinking about Mm -hmm. next and like writing emails and like planning out your weeks. And so having practices that have nothing to do with that and just like get me into the present moment are super, super important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get all of that. It's funny. Like for me and my experience, like you, I've had a few rock bottoms and it does take like hitting, hitting the bottom a few times to really begin to see those practices as like non-negotiables. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's it's like that's a really good way of putting it. It's, it's, it's part of what, it's part of what just keeps you at the, you know, at your baseline, <laughs> you know, it's like it, you need those to be able to function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to sort of wrap up, did you, um, have a woman that you wanted to tell me about? You know, I thought, I thought about this so much and I really struggled to find a particular woman, but if, you know, this is at all helpful. I I just have been, um, thinking a lot more just about my ancestors, you know, and the women that came before me. And I think naturally as a woman, you know, we've been so disenfranchised in so many ways and have had so many struggles set, uh, before us. And, you know, we are like the, the bringers and the keepers of life. And yet we are like completely not respected in that way. And I think you can look at it like on the macro is like the earth being a woman that's like completely disrespected and not treated the way that she she should be and um and you can look at the micro of like individual women throughout history who have been uh you know looked down upon or have not been given their fair share of 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 rights and and respect and i i've been thinking a lot about how far we have come in that way and how you know as a woman i and as a woman of color i'm like able to have this autonomy you know and to like have this business and have this voice in the world and how grateful I am for that, you know, and how much I want to show other women of color that that's completely possible, you know, because I know that not too long ago, you know, within, you know, the same century, it's been, it's been so much tougher for women like me to be able to have opportunities. And, um, 
just really sitting with that and feeling like immense gratitude for that has been really important for me. But I think overall, it's just like the woman, the feminine has just been completely um, disrespected. And I think we're seeing the effects of that in our world right now, you know? Um, And I want to do what I can as a woman to, to lift up other women and to like, recognize all of our strengths that we bring and and, and honor that really amen <laughs> that's perfect i um i love that because yeah you're right like and that's what so much of sort of having this little segment is really about is just like honoring all of the women who came before us because it really just wasn't it wasn't that long ago um and, and still, like there still are, dis- there, there still are, women still do face oppression and like women of color, especially. And it's just like, we're still fighting this fight as this, um, this sort of feminine energy though is rising um, on the planet. So to sort of loop it into, into mother earth and into the environment, like all of that is just, it's so important to acknowledge. So so thank you for that. And I just want to acknowledge you and honor you for coming on and having this conversation with me. And as someone, as you kind of, as you brought up, like you have faced so much adversity from, you know, anxiety and panic attacks and um, your eating disorders and and struggling with alcohol and all of that, like you are to me and making your way through that and like building, getting yourself to where you are right now. You're just like the epitome of that strong, sensitive woman that we just were talking about that is paving this new way for, for women, for like women who are going to come after us and for this feminine energy that is rising on earth. So, so thank you so much. Oh gosh, you make me teary eyed. I'm so, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I do think what you're doing this podcast is so important and I am so honored to be a guest and just have some time to chat with you and you know I think it's also important to just have some more time to reflect I think when we're so busy in this world we don't really take the time to think about all the things we've done and all the adversity we've we've gotten ourselves through and and um so I really am grateful to be able to to speak on all that and it's healing for me too so thank you so much for having me you are so welcome I hope that you love that episode with Natasha. I have put all of her information um, in the show notes, uh, her personal Instagram, as well as her amazing vintage brand, Rome, if you are looking to buy some clothes and want to support her. So I hope you love the episode. And if you have any feedback, please let me know.